Hey, sweetheart, are you in here? Yeah, uh, I was just looking at that time device that future you lent us. It's kind of neat, isn't it? You want to go see how hot Helen of Troy was? Uh, well, dear, I was just coming in here because, well, you made a really big mess in the kitchen. Oh, sure, I was making banana bread. Yeah, and thanks for that, I guess. I I was just wondering if it's okay if you cleaned up. Uh... Wait, did she just escape into the time stream? Christy? Hey, sweetheart, what was it you needed? Wait, where did you go? Nowhere. Is that a piña colada? Sure is. I definitely did not get it from 1972. Okay. Well, I was also wondering if you left me some banana bread. It just sounds so good. Is there any left? Uh... Christy, don't you... Uh, I'm not mad. I just wanted banana bread. Gosh. Hey, I'm back. Look, banana bread. Oh, hey, thanks. Uh, Wait, why is this green? It's from the far future. Uh, food coloring. Uh-huh. Well, I have one other thing to ask you, and please don't dump into the time stream or whatever. Wouldn't dream of it. Do you wanna... Oh, come on! I'm back! Here's the greatest mint julep ever made. It's from a suburban house party on Mars in 2304. Oh. Wow, thank you, Christy. That was so sweet. Wanna talk about comics? Yes. I'm Christina Edelman. And I'm Chris Edelman. And this is Chris's on Infinite Earths. The podcast where nothing will ever be the same. Welcome, readers, to our second part of our two-part coverage of Messiah War. Yep. As I said last time, it's the filling in the middle of the Messiah sandwich. And I remembered what the other piece of bread was. Oh, okay. It's called Second Coming. Oh. And it's like 24 parts. Ooh. I know. I don't know how to cover it. But we're covering this, which is way less parts. Yay! (laughs) That's a real roller coaster of emotions I just experienced there, sweetheart. Well, it's interesting because Messiah Complex was pretty big with like 13, but it's like 13, 7, a billion. Well, I think you just said it was 24. A, a billion? Is it 24 billion? Or are you just making up numbers now? It's 14? Making up numbers now. It's 2? Let's do it. <laughs> that seems easy. <laughs> Well, readers, this uh, this was uh, maybe one we could have covered in one, but... Uh, we didn't. We sure didn't. <laughs> that means that... Uh, it's, always, it's always kind of a gamble deciding before we've read and really dug into things, like how many episodes it's going to take. It's almost like we should do it all beforehand, but... but no. 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 Never. Well, do we have any business up top, Christy? Uh... I don't think we have any iTunes reviews no. to shout out. Nope. We do not have any new patrons. Uh-huh. So shame on you, readers. <laughs> you're fine. You're all do you're all beautiful people. I don't know. I love reading those iTunes reviews. Yeah, you should at least do those. That's not that hard. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sad about the no patrons thing. It's I just... say it's not that hard. I hate logging into iTunes. It is my least favorite thing. Mm-hmm. Well, review us on Facebook. Stitcher. 
GoPod. That's a that's a new website. <laughs> it is not. <laughs> I always love the names of pod podcast websites. It'll be like like Podomatic or like Poddoof or like NerdPod. They always gotta throw pod in, but they're not. It's like the names of comic book review websites. Like some of them are completely terrible. It'll okay. be like Basement Stories. Okay, but my awful like podcast app name experience was that. I had a teacher that wanted to do bulletin board and have each of the teachers' um, faces on it and, like, a list of, like, their favorite apps. And I was like, my favorite app is Podcast Addict. And the teacher misunderstood and thought it was two separate apps. Oh, so so she she thought it was Podcast, comma, Addict. So that's how it was listed on the bulletin board for the first half of the year, that I enjoyed both Podcast, the app, and And Addict, Addict, the the app. Which, I'm not sure if Addict is an app. It probably is. And I don't want to know what it's for. And I probably wouldn't have wanted to advertise that to students and parents. Maybe it's for Addict Recovery. (laughs) Right. But, like, that doesn't seem like a thing that I want to put next to my name in the halls of, like, the school that I teach. I don't know. Seems seems very progressive. But also you're like, I'm not though. <laughs> you know, yeah. more more power to everybody who's a recovering addict, but also I am not one. <laughs> podcast come. I like that you thought that there was an app called Podcast. I'm like, is that what it's called on just like iPhones? Is it just No, it was um what was it? I know now it's it's just part of Apple Well, it was part of Apple Music. I think now it's Apple Podcasts. Oh. And before I don't think it was just podcasts. But I don't know. Yeah. So that's it my fun It was never tale. just podcast. It was never just <laughs> singular. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, are we ready to get into that summary? I think we probably should. <laughs> summary. X-Force number 15, written by Craig Kyle and Chris Yost. Penciled, inked, and colored by Clayton Crane, lettered by Corey Pettit, and edited by John Barber. As Strife tries to figure out the mystery of hope, Warpath breaks free of his bonds and attacks Strife. Strife easily fends him off, but Bishop strikes the clone from behind and stands over Hope with energy charged. Warren Worthington struggles with turning back and forth into Archangel, still swimming in Apocalypse's influence. Bishop again tries to kill poor Hope, but is stopped by Strife, who telekinetically deconstructs Bishop's cool metal arm. X-23, Domino, Vanisher, and Deadpool come upon Ship, the massive tower once owned by Apocalypse. They know this is where the time-travel-stopping mutant is. Deadpool also reveals a shocking secret. Strife and Deadpool are linked thought-wise, and Strife has known their every move. Cable and Wolverine arrive, attacking Strife with all they've got. It's not enough, however, even after Elixir joins and tries to biologically destroy Strife. Strife stands victorious, spouting that in the age of Strife, only the strong survive. Cut back to that apocalypse cave where Warren arrives and proclaims that he still has his humanity and he won't be Apocalypse's pawn. Apocalypse replies that while he wanted Archangel to end his incredibly long life, he would instead rather join with him to kill Strife. Cable 15. Written by Dwayne Schwerzynski. Penciled, inked, and colored by Ariel Olivetti. Lettered by Joe Caramagna. And edited by Axel Alonso. 
Strife stands over his fallen enemies, finally realizing how important hope is to everything. Domino puts her gun to Deadpool's head, and he tells her that he was supposed to kill them for Strife, but merely got distracted. The crew also finds an old woman in the center of the tower, the person keeping them locked here. Kaiden Nixon, a friend of X-23's. Strife and Bishop apparently grabbed her from the past and forced her telepathically to use her time-stopping powers over the entire continent. After Strife and Hope leave the throne room, Hope attempts escape, only for Strife to catch her again in a TK bubble. Bishop fights off Cable while Wolverine, his mind damaged in the fight with Strife, attacks the closest person, who is also Cable. Poor Cable. Anyway, Bishop leaves to confront Strife. As ethics are debated regarding the comatose Kaiden, Deadpool leaves to finally find a spine and confront Strife. And then it's big fight time as Bishop, Cable, and Wolverine all fight Strife, and each other to some extent. Big bloody cuts and punches. Woo! Strife is still too strong for everyone, and he prepares to telepathically discover Hope's powers. But then Deadpool arrives with a massive gun, blasting Strife off a cliff, only for him to almost immediately return and rip Deadpool in half. Gross. The timer for how long they can stay counts down with the consequence of staying too long being a painful death. And as the crew debates what to do with Kaiden, it hits zero. Uh-oh. X-Force number 15, written by Craig Kyle, Chris Yost, and Dwayne Swarzynski, penciled, inked, and colored by Clayton Crane and Ariel Olivetti, lettered by Corey Pettit, and edited by John Barber. Everybody piles on strife, and given that this is a superhero crossover, it's big fight time! The time devices try to pull everyone back, but of course Kaiden stands in the way. In a moment of lucidity, she asks Laura to end her life, and while X-23 hesitates, Domino takes the shot and apologizes to Laura for the hard choice. Apocalypse and Archangel crash through the roof where Strife and company are fighting, and Big Daddy A is ready to take back his kingdom. After Kaiden's death, no one is warping back, which Domino thinks is related to them still wearing their time armbands. Vanisher rips his off, and poof, he's back to the present. The big fight continues, with Apocalypse Reborn trashing Strife and ultimately defeating him. In the confusion, Bishop finally gets the shot to kill Little Hope, but he hesitates, only to be attacked by Apocalypse. He escapes back into the time stream. Apocalypse grabs Hope, sensing her power. He wants to make her into his next vessel, but Cable is not having that. Luckily, Warren makes a deal with Apocalypse. A life for a life. Apocalypse returns hope. The heroes beat feet, and Apocalypse drags off Strife, saying that the greatest honor the defeated clone could have is being Apocalypse's vessel. Yikes! Cable and Hope disappear into the time stream again, and X-Force lines up with where they need to be to complete the mission they had had in the past. Their bodies slowly degrade, though, as they aren't meant to be in the future this long. Poof! They go back into the past as well. And in the bar from the beginning... Bishop plans to find hope again. All right. So, second half of this event. It's about the same as the first half, to the point where I feel like it reused a lot of the same beats. Yeah, not much really happens. How many times did Archangel need to go back to that cave? (laughs) It's like, he goes to the cave, he leaves, he goes back to the cave, he leaves. (laughs) Did he leave? I thought that was all the same cave encounter. I thought he left and then was, like, turning back and forth, and then he's like, like, okay, I will go back, but then I gotta, like, 
tell him that I'm my own man. Oh, I just thought those were weird art inconsistencies. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Between the books. That's fair. Maybe it was. Maybe, but it, I don't know. Like, Archangel's whole arc in this entire seven issues is like, he's there, he hears Apocalypse, he goes, he helps him, he goes back. And he's like, mm, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Maybe I should. Well, but he should have done that, because Apocalypse helped them win. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is going to be, like, probably a really silly question. No, do but it. what does it mean that Apocalypse is going to make somebody his, his vessel? He, like, transfers his his consciousness. So what happens to his body? He does it, like, when his body's dying. Oh, but he's still in that body now. Yeah. Okay. I don't, I don't think he was going to transfer his consciousness to Strife right away. Oh, okay. Yeah. So has he ever had another body besides the one we see him in? I honestly don't think so. <laughs> So is this just, like, a looming threat that at some point... He'll do it at some point. But he doesn't need to now. Well, I don't know, but couldn't Krakoa just make him new bodies? Right. Not Krakoa, but, like, the crew on Krakoa. The the five, yeah. That's my thought. Yeah. I don't think it's a problem. Okay. I just wasn't... I almost don't know if it was ever a problem. (laughs) He kind of... I feel like Apocalypse once kind of took over Archangel's mind and on the X-Force, in a sense. But he never, like, fully took him. A lot of times people come back as Apocalypse in, like, weird ways. There was an event where, I swear swear they were just throwing darts at a dartboard. We'll probably eventually cover it. Called Axis. Where the whole deal is all a bunch of good people get turned. It's, it's like everybody has their heel face turn. Okay. So Tony Stark has a heel turn. Sabretooth has a face turn. I but- thought you were going to say Tony had a face turn. <laughs> Whoa! No, and then he, then you get Superior Iron Man, where he's just a jerk the whole time. Mm. But um, Genesis, who is a kind of like clone son of Apocalypse, who was raised to be a good kid, gets his axis shift, and he like turns into Apocalypse. Oh no! I mean, he's he's fine now, but okay, because I remember him from yeah, from Wolverine, Wolverine the X Men. Yeah, he was real good. He's from Kansas. Okay, I'm glad nothing bad happened to him long-term that didn't get fixed. Yeah, he hasn't shown up in a while. I would like to see him on Krakoa. I would like to see X on Krakoa is the name of... I'm just going to make it a shirt. Just I would like to see him in blank. Mm, I was going to say if it was X, you'd be saying 10. Yeah, or that kind of weird um, amalgamation of Phantom X and Professor Xavier that existed for like three panels and then was never spoken of again. <laughs> All right, so back to Messiah War, which... Yep. I was really hoping the second half to see Hope with some agency. Nope. Yeah. No. Nope. You get a, you get a few panels of her uh, escaping. It it just makes me wonder about like the rest of Cable at this time. Like, is is that just her mo for her whole time in this book? She's a child, so therefore she doesn't really get to have opinions or choice or. She gets more, I think, as she gets older. Okay. Because, like, spoiler alert, she ends up as, like, a teenager at the end of this mm-hmm. run. And how old is she? I don't know if we have a clear answer of how old she's actually supposed to be. I think she's supposed to be, like, 10. But I'm... Because the art's really not a reliable indicator of how old she is. Oh, definitely not. I did a big thread on Twitter of just different panels of her face throughout this event. And it's just so wild how difficult it is for the artists to a like agree between each other like what what is the age here and what should that look like she also has like different haircuts and stuff depending Mm -hmm. some marvel doesn't always use style guides 
Mm. And I feel like it would be a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And I I don't know if it's something they've never done, because I feel like in X-Men specifically, because that's probably what I've read the most, in like the 70s and 80s, between artists, you still get like, you'll get their take, but there's like, they have like the same length of hair, unless they like notably get a hair style change and they they have these sorts of and even like just with the difference in styles between Olivetti and Crane uh-huh. it was so I mean the books were just so different Wolverine's costume looked like an entirely different costume mm-hmm. when Crane was drawing it versus Olivetti like, yeah it just I mean so incredibly different different in just the overall color scheme it felt like a different world that they were in going back and forth between cable and x-force i feel like the one thing they were good at was rendering strife yeah yeah and i think maybe because he just has a very iconic one costume thing (laughs) Uh, so i felt like in cable we really got kind of this bright sort of futuristic landscape to it where everything in x-force was just very dark and grim and tonally it it was just so strange i know we talk about artistic whiplash but like this was so extreme yeah it's interesting in the ways that their styles are similar because they are in some ways but like their their color palette is very different Mm -hmm. and they 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 each colored their own issues right they did they did the full art right in fact, I, like, I credit it as penciled, inked, and colored. I feel like some of it was probably, like, painted. Uh, art art, art done by. Right. Um, it's so, that, oh. so that was definitely something that didn't work for me. Because not only were the styles drastically different from each other, neither of them was necessarily the, a style that I was drawn to or really liked um, that much. I feel like... Very mid-2000s. Yeah, it's just that little bit of uncanny valley feel to both of them at points um i mean more so with olivetti than crane crane i mean i actually kind of liked the coloring even though it was really dark i kind of liked crane's coloring in some instances there were bits where it almost looked slightly impressionistic yes and And i kind of dug that but it also i think impressionism and i'm probably gonna sound like a complete dude I think Impressionism, it works really well for still life. That's true. Uh, okay, thank you. I'm glad. I know you've actually studied some of this stuff. But it when you have something in motion, it almost muddles the motion. So when you have these comic panels with this sort of like bleed over color, sometimes I was like, I, I'm not entirely sure what's happening here. No, I get that. Like it won't, when Apocalypse finally takes down Strife, it's just like a blur with a womb or something. Right, which you may think of as like a fun way to convey motion and movement, uh-huh. but it it's visually confusing. Yeah, that was that's that's my that's my my crane complaint. But I I know what you mean. I feel like there there was some there was I, his art I liked a lot better. Um, Olivetti sometimes almost looked like his characters were like claymation characters. Right. Yes. It was like we were watching like X Force Rudolph the Red Nose Rain. <laughs> Cable and strife. Cable and strife. I don't think I can do the snowman's voice narrating, but it's uh, just just imagine all that strife narration we had is like, 
Hello, boys and girls. (laughs) (laughs) Cables bounce. (laughs) Oh, that was that was very good. I was was trying to be that. Do the bumbles bounce? Yeah, bumbles bounce. I knew exactly what you were doing. I'm glad we're on this extended bit. <laughs> we were kids at the same time. So. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer played around Christmas on Fox uh-huh. like, every year for like my entire childhood. Oh, I'm pretty sure we had it like on VHS, we, too. My parents didn't buy VHSs, but it always played. Yeah. What's funny, though, is my mom loved Rudolph. She thought that was great. All the other ones she thought were complete crap. Like, she was like, no. Like... Santa Claus coming to town, terrible. I'm like, oh, it's like the, it's, it's like the same thing. <laughs> okay, what's the one with like the heat miser and and Jack Frost? Because I feel that like is, it's called Jack Frost. A oh, Jack Frost, yeah. yeah. I don't think I saw that one until I was much older as a kid. Well, they eventually started really overplaying them. Mm. Uh, I liked the the one with Santa Claus's origin story because the bad guy was called the uh, Burgermeister Meister Burger. <laughs> Man, this is a tangent. Oh boy. <laughs> But no, it reminds me of claymation a little bit. There's yeah. bits where where Bishop looks like he is like sculpted. I mean, we're on like cable. We have like cable fourteen, fifteen here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he's been drawing hope for a while, and it just slips in and out of recognizable as a child. It's not consistent. It drives no. me crazy. Which crane or it, it's not consistent, and it it. It bothers me that it's not consistent. And at least Cranes is consistently bad in the same way every time. You really thought about this. I, I do feel like there's this weird issue where like, and it, I want to say it's getting better, but it doesn't always get better. Like certain comic book artists, like, you know that they just want to draw muscle dudes. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you need to draw a little girl. And they're like, but she's got real big pouty lips, right? Oh. <laughs> does she, really defined cheekbones. Does she want to speak to a manager? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she had that hair. In oh. one panel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wild. It wasn't even a panel. It was like some of the, I don't know if it was a variant cover that was at the end. Oh, uh, it's or some uh, of Strife's Burn Book Part 2, Strife Strike Files. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's in that, which I think someone else does that art. I think my favorite art out of this entire crossover was in the first, like, intro issue. And it's uh, not by, like, a mile. It just, Hope at least kind of maybe looked like a little kid. Yeah, there was one awkward panel of her as an infant. And they definitely didn't have, like, the timeline right on what an infant looks like on the, like, within the first day or two of being born. But oh, yeah, she she kind of, they gave her, like, a little, little round pump head. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not really what babies look like right off. No. Kind of like, look like lizard. Like super dehydrated lizards. Yeah. Babies are beautiful. <laughs> so pretty. I love both of mine right away, on site. You did love both of yours. I did love them. I love, I thought they were both so beautiful <laughs> from the moment I first laid eyes on them. You're like, well, at least you got mommy right now. <laughs> But no, I, I mean that's that's that seems to always be the case. That's like the like a television show problem too. They'll be like the baby's born and there's this like six okay, month. But old. that's not an art depiction no, problem. That's can... like a child labor <laughs> issue. So this kid can... <laughs> just imagine <laughs> puffing on a cigar. You can't have kids working until they're six months old. <laughs> no, that's why. Um, 
uh, twins get so much work because they're normally preemies. So by the time they're old enough to be working, mm-hmm. um, not only do you have two of them that you can swap out, but, but they small. also lo- they're small. They yeah. look about the right size as what like a newborn would look like. Right. Mm-hmm. Just imagining them like a little baby hand to clock in. <laughs> <laughs> You think that they fingerprint clock in on the set of a movie? I had to do a hand clock in at the last <laughs> the last place. I, I don't went. think they're making an hourly wage. No, I think so. <laughs> Our day to day, little Susie. All right, we're gonna get in. <laughs> do they have to clock out when they get their pants changed? No, they get they get they get five diaper diaper breaks. God, we're we're weird tonight. Well, it's because we don't really want to talk about this crossover. No, 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 no. I, I, I think that it is interesting to suddenly use strife and then him get totally dealt with by the end. I hated the dialogue. Pretty oh, much all of it. Pretty much all of it. Um, I do have one really stark way to praise this comic. I think that the incredibly uncertain ending was super cool. Really? Because I feel like it totally downplays the value of this entire event. I I feel like it was interesting that they that in the middle of a different fight they have to do something super urgently and then they are like like they are so tireless that they're like we have to after after we just fought like one of the most powerful mutants in existence and we're like falling apart from the inside we need to like get to where we need to go to finish this fight with this other person. Well, yeah, but that's the thing about it. This whole event feels like we started and ended at the same point. I think that's why they made them so beat up by the end. Like, Domino goes blind. Oh, does she really? Yeah, her eyes, like, glaze over. Oh. Or they get, like, roomy. I mean, she did look real beat up, but... Yeah. And then, like, Laura, had, like, is like, I'll keep going, and then manages to yank her wristband off. Mm. We have a question a little bit later that I think deals with this in an interesting way. It's interesting that you really hated it, and I was like... Oh, this is like a cool way to like. Hey, we still have to like go back to the main title. <laughs> I think it Cable probably continues this on in a way that makes more sense than X Force. X Force is clearly like the guest in this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This is this is a Cable event that needed guest needed starring. some backup. Guest starring the Claw folks. <laughs> guest starring Guns and Claws. Guest starring the Bat Claws. <laughs> yeah, he does look a little Batman esque. <laughs> Oh, Wolverine. All right. Well, speaking of some of the questions that we have, do we? is there anything we need to touch on before we get into questions? Are you ready to get into our Twitter questions? Um, yeah, because some of the Twitter questions have some things. All right. So I'm like, why talk about them twice? All right. Questions. So our first question is a bit of a doozy. It comes from former guest on the show, Everett Christensen. Mm-hmm. Who asks, why Bishop? I don't know if I have a good answer to this, because it's not like... Well, I know why in the story. Well, right. But why, as a writer, why would you pursue this avenue with Bishop? Like, we didn't have to. Like, it's not like he was introduced with this purpose. No. Um, And I feel like there, there could have been... Any, I feel like maybe even strife from the beginning could have been the bishop mm. um, from from like Messiah Complex. I think they made it bishop in Messiah Complex because it was like a 
huge betrayal. Right. And then you, you know, you find out about his dark future. So I get why. But you, we almost like, we as readers almost have to ignore it. Like, yeah. For current things, which is odd because it's, so for some people, it's easier to ignore things like, oh, Apocalypse was like a super evil guy. And they're like, oh, he's he's here now. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think because of the, because of Bishop being he a good guy. He was a good guy doing then, a like, bad thing. Yeah. It might be hard. I mean, I don't, it's not hard for me anymore. I love Bishop and Marauders. I, right. But, it just feels like a, like a, a blemish. It does. I think they did it because Bishop is is supposed to be a character with like this developed sense of justice, mm-hmm. and he feels like he needs to get things done. Mm-hmm. But it's I've... clear he morally struggles with this. Like we've spent two events with him trying to kill this child, and he can't and do not it. Being able to do it, I still like. I'm not super fond of it. making no. Bishop a bad guy. No, in Cable. No, definitely yeah. not. I don't like it. Mm-mm. Next question comes from at Asimov Fangirl, who asks, "Hi, I know X Force being involved was a necessity, but in your opinion, was X Force the right choice, or would another team have made the rescuing better?" Um. Okay. So, what other teams were possible? What, what other teams were around at this time? Uh, there was a team of kids. Yeah, you can't send them. Yeah. Um. There was just the normal X Men. X Factor Investigations was happening at this time, oh. which was Madrox's group investigators mm-hmm. slash students. Like I feel like this is some pretty dark content and a pretty dark event, and I feel like the the comedic relief that they tried to have in this was Deadpool, which didn't was, work for me. It was also a time when Deadpool was being written in a way that was like insufferable in his own book, and so they just did it everywhere. Right, so. I would have preferred character. I mean, I don't know what the rest of X Force was like, but it just—I would have prefer- preferred char- characters with a wider range of emotional dynamics. I can't remember if Mutants was happening at this time, but there was a new volume of Mutants that was like kind of around this time. Mm-hmm. I would have liked that because more of them would have had a history with Cable. Oh. But Warpath does, mm-hmm. and it com- it doesn't come up very much, mm-hmm. um, since a lot of the New Mutants kids became X-Force. It's like they just wanted Wolverine there. Well, it's, you know, they they literally made an event with, like, the, the darkest X-Bucks, with, like, the grittiest ones. Right. And so they just picked the two that were the grittiest, I think. Which, in my opinion, just turned out to be kind of a boring event. I think some people may have thought that any any lightning of it would have made it like tonally inconsistent. I guess that's true. But this was just a time for that kind of comic. It was. It's funny because people people like to complain that the '90s was this way, but at least I feel like the '90s had bright colors. Mm-hmm. And I guess this way we had Warren too, with that could have that dynamic with Apocalypse. Yeah. So that's probably. I mean, that's why. But I, I think maybe a New Mutants team, maybe neat, maybe who is more horrifying. Hope Summers in this crossover or medieval babies. Ooh, that's a toughie. Medieval <laughs> babies are pretty bad. Have we talked about medieval babies on the show? Probably, right? Yeah, but I don't have to look at me- we have talked about medieval babies, but okay. I don't have to look at medieval babies if I don't want to. And if I do, I can just glance at it and move on. Whereas this I had to look at a lot more. Hope there's a scene where Hope's running with it's pigtails. Flashback, or it's a dream sequence. It is she looks like a like a little like Rugrats child, but like, all, like just like 
claymation, claymation. Meets Rugrats. It's horrifying. <laughs> it's maybe the worst child drawing I've ever seen. That's probably not. But most medieval medieval babies look weird, but they still just they just look like small adults. They don't look like <laughs> like weird creatures. Yes. So I'm gonna say Hope Summers. Yes. Uh, at Drew underscore GY says more versatile character, Cable or Cyclops. And who are you happier to see in a comic when they show up? Oh, I want I want to hear Chris's answer to this question. This is tough because um You really like both. I do. I love Cable and Cyclops for different reasons. Uh, similar reasons. They're both like dad 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 to dad dad characters. Mm-hmm. Except now, because Cable's a Cable's a teen. He's a cool teen cable. Who am I happier when they show up? Is it like if it, they show up as a surprise? Because I feel like I'll like I right, mean, who right, are you? Right now, I generally know that Cyclops is going to show up in, in the main X-Men title. He's He's been in nearly every issue. I mean, are you more excited to pick up a book you know Cable's going to be in, or are you more excited to pick up a book you know Cyclops is going to be in? I mean, All I, things considered yeah. equal, I would say probably Cyclops. But as far as a surprise character showing up where you don't know that they're going to be in it, Cable is a surprise rules. He's like the Kool-Aid man jumping through the wall. That That's true. How do you feel? Um... I think for me, it really, in terms of who I'm happier to see when they show up, I think it really depends on who they are with at the time. Oh, so Like so, if they've got an interesting relationship to explore on page. So like Cyclops and the Oscar Mayer Wiener Man, probably like not your thing. I, that sounds like top 10 material right <laughs> <in> there. <laughs> X-Men, I brought an Oscar, Wire, me, Oscar Mayer Wiener Man. Yeah, but why, Slim? We needed hot dogs. <laughs> I mean, I also really enjoy them together. Too. Uh, Cable, Cable and Cyclops at the same time, primo, right? The there is a there's a run of Cable and X Force that Dennis Dennis Hopeless Hollum wrote, and one of the covers is Cyclops on it, and he's like doing like a flex or something, and it just says "Daddy's Home" <laughs> on the cover, and it kind of rules. <laughs> like. Or I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Nobody can see this, but I'm gonna show you the pose he did. What is he on the Jersey Shore? Yeah, He's, he looks yoked too, and it just says "Daddy's Home" in like big sans serif. Can we get a print letters. of that? Oh, probably. Do you want a print of Daddy's Home? I want to give you a print of it. I'll have to show you what the cover looks like. When we're done. But yeah, you're reading Cable and Cyclops shows up. You're like, well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, love that. Mm-hmm. They're like chocolate and peanut butter, two good tastes. Tastes better together. Um, and in terms of versatility, I don't remember if you made a a decision there. Um, I mean, I feel like I've read Cyclops yeah, in I more Cyclops. different ways than I have read Cable. I think it's hard to make Cable funny, and I think Cyclops can have mo- more moments of levity. Like when he and Madeline Pryor sent a picture of their honeymoon as a postcard to Charles Xavier, and it's them in bed, and I'm like, what? <laughs> On purpose? <laughs> like, Madeline's got the sheets pulled up, and Scott's, like, got the sheets in his waist with, like, bare chest. Better send that to my old teacher. <laughs> I, at instant Insta Trent, Trent asks, if the center of the Messiah event scene, which was a flavor, what would it be? Baloney. Baloney? You don't like baloney? Not a fan? I'd never, like, pick it. By choice. I feel like bologna's good if you like fry it up in a pan. 
but like what is it um what do i think what's like a flavor of something all right but in a sandwich Oatmeal cream pies are a sandwich, but I like that film. Yeah, yeah, I, like I like an oatmeal cream pie. That's a, that's a, that's a good sandwich. What's like my least favorite kind of sandwich? I'm not a big ham sandwich guy. Oh, really? I love turkey. I love turkey and ham. I love turkey and ham and roast beef. I love a Cuban, which has ham on it. Ham by itself, not my favorite. I don't know. I feel like if you gave me a sandwich with like deli sliced turkey on it and you gave me a sandwich with like deli sliced ham on it i don't know if i could tell the difference just salt salt flavor right i once had a sandwich that was one piece of bread and a slice of american cheese um because it was at a boy scout event where we were supposed to be fasting so oh. maybe just a slice of american <laughs> cheese in the middle is this messiah <laughs> complex oh yeah all right uh the brandalorian asks Based only on this crossover, which title does it make you want to read more, X-Force or Cable? I know the answer may be neither, but you have to choose one. I think Cable. Yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, And second question from the Brandalorian. The first time I read Messiah War, I was collecting neither X-Force nor Cable. I didn't like it. The second time I read Messiah War, it was after reading all the preceding issues of um, X-Force and Cable and liked it lots. Should we judge it differently because it was a direct continuation of two separate comics um, as opposed to being a big event? Is the term crossover too big to actually mean anything now? Boy, that last question. You got really existential there about the nature of our podcast. (laughs) everything's a crossover if you try hard enough um to the the last question and maybe um to the judging it as a continuation of runs the brandalorian is probably correct but that's just kind of not the way we operate we just grab stuff like this was this ended up being a fairly certain a trade paperback you could just buy on its own Right. So, I mean, if they're in a package of like an event and give it like a a, a number one, like at the beginning, we have we're that's how we're going to evaluate it. That's how we got to do it. Mm-hmm. That's how we did it with that wonder the the Wonder Woman culmination of like fifty issues. Or oh my whatever. gosh, that was a mistake. Oh. All right. Um. At Lynn Candescent asks, "Is Dad Cable the best or what? He is my favorite Marvel dad. I think." Oh. Well, maybe not. Luke Cage is Luke Cage right. is a very good Marvel dad. I was going to say. Luke Cage. Yeah, yeah. Luke Cage probably has. I like Cable as a Marvel dad. He's probably okay. the best X-Men dad. Is he the best Cable? Is Dad Cable the best Cable? Yeah. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Because the, the question was a little vague. I figured we'd, we'd cover all our bases there. Yep. Just love him. The first, the first issue of this is Cable with like a papoose with hope in it. And he's got the gun. And I'm like, that rules. <laughs> uh. Josh Garvey asks, is it legal to be as beefy as Olivetti's Cable? Oh my gosh. Like, I don't think Cable could, like, could, like, scratch his nose in Olivetti, because, like, his ripply muscles would just, like, hit in the middle, and he'd be like, no. He's, like, he's, like, more than Schwarzenegger ripped. Dennis Hollum once said that, that Cable makes no sense, because he's, like... A man in his sixties who is somehow stronger than like he ever was before. Like, like, like. Imagine if if men instead of like having a peak of strength just only got like more beefy as they got older, and that's Cable. And I'm like, boy, that's so true, right? Like he's supposed to be like in his fifties or sixties, I'm sure, and he's just like he could like put a lime like 
in the crook of his elbow and like flex and like shoot limeade out. That's somebody's thing. <laughs> That's somebody. At Nola Fow, uh, our pal Nola asks, should Hope call Scott grandpappy as often as possible? <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be a bad idea. I think we have a few writers who would really enjoy that. Yep. <laughs> a follow-up from Corey Marie 21 says, likewise, should she make the color drain from Emma's face by calling her grandma as often as possible? I don't know if that's fair. Like a like step grandma? Grandma by marriage? <laughs> They're not even married. I don't know. <laughs> I'm still uncertain if uh Scott Emma is a thing right now. They are keeping it it, it comes up in that Fantastic Four X Men. Mm-hmm. That's that's the only place it really seems to come up, I feel like. They haven't done a lot of flirting since Hawksbox. Whereas like Scott and Jean are like go into Chandelure on vacay and they like mm-hmm. live on the moon with, with their boyfriend Wolverine. <laughs> yeah. So um, Samuel Walker has a question that has words we can't say on the podcast. So we are going to say kiss, marry, or punch strife 1000 year old Deadpool or apocalypse. Okay. So who are you smooching? Um, I'm wait. saying, okay. So I'm okay. saying punch 1000 year old Deadpool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Mary Apocalypse. Yeah, Mary Apocalypse. That's true. And and I guess Smooch Smooch Strife. Smooch Strife. Okay. I'm glad we're in agreement. Yeah. Totally <laughs> similar preferences here. Yep. Um, at Big Dad Energy, Zach asks, "Is Cable a good dad? I feel like he wants to be, but boy, how do you would CPS not love a bunch of this? They sure wouldn't. But that's a you know, children in peril is. Like, I think Cable is the the best dad he could be given the circumstance. Oh, it's funny." He's like, I have to take this kid into the future. The present is too dangerous. And I feel like that quickly becomes not the case. Yeah, that line of logic. Like, let's take her away from all of the people that could protect us. And now it's just me. So yeah, maybe not. (laughs) I think think he's a dad with good intentions. Yeah. I mean, a lot of dads are dads with good intentions. I don't think he's like an actively bad father. Other than like putting a child at risk a lot. but. I don't think he's really doing it on purpose or because of neglect. Right. Right. I mean, they're almost kind of like refugees. Yeah, they are they are time refugees in a sense. I mean, Bishop like burned a bunch of timelines to sort of like try to like funnel him yeah, him like, into one spot. Like what people like fox hunts. Don't love fox. <laughs> All right. So, are we ready to get into our accolades? Let's do it. All right, Christy, what's the best line in this here crossover? Um, my best line I gave to Deadpool. All right. Mm. Yeah. The, the lines in this were bad. It's it's when Strife's ripping him in half and he says, hey, this isn't what I meant by severance. <sighs> Mine is also from Deadpool, but it's actually right before he fights oh. Strife. He says, hey, boss, this is me giving notice and then shoots him with the Yeah, that's pretty good, too. Gun, guess. Yeah. Who's the greatest hero? My greatest hero uh, went to Domino oh, okay. for being able to pull the trigger. Ooh, that's rough. We'll have to have a talk about Kaiden Nixon at some point. She was in a, a comic called NYX and basically nothing. Else. Mm. Uh, that's where X-23 comes from, and her origin is not good. Okay. All right. Okay. What about your greatest hero? I'm going to give it to Archangel for, like, he got Apocalypse to help them and then managed to negotiate for Hope being given back. 
Oh, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of good stuff. That is good stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your coolest moment? Um, my coolest moment, I remember last episode, I think I gave my coolest moment to also like an apocalypse page. Just apocalypse showing up is just really cool. Um, but I, I gave it to, um, when apocalypse and arc, uh, archangel sh- showing up and, Apocalypse has that line, strife, you failed to kill me, failure is weakness, and weakness must be cold. Mine too. Really? Yep. Daily double. Hit it, Matt D. Wilson. I do like the way that Crane draws, like, fully powered up Apocalypse. It's so cool. Why do you think I chose Mary? (laughs) You're like, this guy. (laughs) No, I love Apocalypse in this. I'm a big Apocalypse fan in general because he was one of the earliest villains on the cartoon. Oh. And he scared the heck out of me. Oh, poor, poor little Chris. I mean, I wasn't like tearful, but like he was just such a scary bad guy. Yeah. He also talked in this sort of deep voice. It doesn't sound really scary when you do it. Oh, like man. that. Well, with five or whatever. Oh. Fox Kids. And he's, that's, that's, that's he, Elder Chris Lit Age. <laughs> it's true. Elder Chrislet, uh, readers came in. I was on the computer and he ran upstairs with tears in his eyes because I'd left on the floor as lava and one of the teams in the floor as lava fell and none of them made it. <laughs> so the floor is lava for people who don't know is a show where you have to like cross a bunch of obstacles in a room. And if you fall in the quote unquote lava, which is just like red water. Mm-hmm. You, you you lose. But when they fall in, they, like, go in and they don't, like, resurface. They, like, do camera tricks. So mm-hmm. they, like, get them off elsewhere. So my poor son was like, oh, my gosh, what happened to them? They all fall in the lava. <laughs> and he did not. I was like, kid, it's just water. It's not real lava. They're okay. <laughs> so uh, how about some silly villainy? The Crusher Creel Award for silly villainy? Uh, my silly villainy goes to Bishop just because he did all of this work and long-term planning just to not even be able to can't even do anything pull the trigger no that is one thing that i thought was goofy is like it doesn't really advance the bishop narrative at all i thought the x-force narrative got this cool thing with like the uncertain ending but the bishop in cable thing was like we're exactly exactly where they started i'm with you there okay okay Uh, okay. uh what about your silly villainy what who gets your crushy crush who gets your Crusher Creel Award for Silly Villainy. Strife took so long to figure out that hope was important, and there's so many panels of him going like, what is happening with this like, <laughs> young mutant? Why is she so important? Why does Cable have her? I better figure it out again, and then like an issue later, but why is she so important? <laughs> like, oh my god, stop. Well, he doesn't figure it out until like the end. He, that he get, that gets in contact with the, the healer. Right. And understands that I guess Elixir had figured out that Hope was amplifying. Like, is that why he thinks Hope's so important? Or does he think Hope is so important because she's catastrophic to the future? Because uh, they, they don't actually know no. what happens in Bishop's future. They don't. Only Bishop does. So I feel like all that Strife has to have picked up is what, like, that she is the mutant messiah, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Do you think it's interesting that ultimately Hope is the mutant messiah because she brings everybody back from the dead, giving them giving them eternal life? You know, I feel like that's a really poetic end to this that nobody planned. No. Hickman Hickman literally just picked it up later. Yeah. Years later. Yeah. Ten years later. Mm-hmm. 
All right. How about your key of C award? The moment that should most be like a musical number from a Broadway musical. Uh, I feel like um, Domino and X twenty three needed needed some oh needed some time. A, I know we always pick the really emotional bits. I think for um, our key of C. I mean that that's what a musical is when emotions are so big that you can only express them through song. Yeah, I thought the X Force finale could have used a good of like desperation. I know musicals never end this way, but I would have loved this uncertain ending of them. I mean, th- those are like the panels that I have like X 23 there at the end. Like, oh. crawling along. And- I thought you meant after like during the whole like thing with Kaiden. I mean that, that too, but that ties into like this exchange between them at the end of like, you know, Domino needing to keep going and not being able, you know, her not being able to do it. And this comes back to X-23, like, no, you were able to do that for my friend when I couldn't do it. And now I will help. So I, I just felt like, and that's probably a result of me not having read all of the X-Force leading up to this, mm-hmm. is just I feel like I wanted more of their relationship and more of that story to come through. I just, I just felt like I wanted more of that for it to be meaningful to me. Right. That's fair. So you said your key of C was the ending there. So it's like right. the same part for the same reasons or some different well, thoughts? Well, kind of all of them. Like the, there's the bit where they have, they're like, let's fly to the UN and like, okay, like we, Warren can barely hold them and like they pull off their, mm. their time bracelets or whatever, their time friendship bracelets. <laughs> We, we all wove these between missions, our time friendship. Reasons. Okay, so is this just like a super melodramatic uh, ballad? Do we have some sort of like medley going on? Yeah, I think it's a medley. I think they end. Uh, you know, um, you know how in in a lot of Sondheim musicals you get like five people singing different things. Yes. Yeah, something like that. Yep. Okay. Yep. Got it. Know exactly what you're talking about. Yep. All right, readers. Thanks for slugging through all of our our tangents with us as we talked about Messiah War and many other things, <laughs> like Rudolph and boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, readers, we have a Patreon request for next time. It's going to be the Justice League and Bugs Bunny, which was requested by Chris Osborne. Did you already tell me this, and I've just forgotten? Yep. Okay. Yeah. That happens a lot. It sure does. <laughs> but that that ought to be like a one episode or it's a four issue mini. Ought to be a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, you can also check out both Chris and I's writing over at XavierFiles.com. That's true. You can find our podcast on any podcatcher that you like. Leave us those five-star reviews on iTunes, Stitcher, Facebook, and more. Mm -hmm. And we'll shout those out on the show, read them out, any fun little tidbits that you want to toss in there for us. Yeah, you can get a hold of us uh, at Chris's Pod on Twitter and Facebook, or for long-form messages at chrisesonearth.com. And if you'd like to donate to our Patreon for those those recurring payments, or those one-times at Ko-fi, those are going to be in the show notes. And until next time. Slay your enemies and all you desire shall be yours.